This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. It's been about a month since I, since I released an episode into the feed, and that's largely been because I took some time off and then also uh, had been working on finishing up the first draft of my manuscript for my book that will be coming out. Uh, it's penciled to come out next year. So I apologize for not having any shows here in the queue ready for you, but that is the reason for the delay and for the fact that I haven't had anything new. However, I did want to resurface an interview that I did several years ago with David Bazan. The listeners of the show are likely very familiar with who David Bazan is. He is the lead singer of the band Pedro the Lion and also performed under his own name for around a decade. Uh, Bazan's music, uh, what it means to me, can really not really be overstated. It was the type of music that I needed back in the early 2000s as a Christian college student uh, trying to understand my place in evangelicalism and also the sort of pathways out. Bazan and many other people were the types of people that forged those paths before things like podcasting, before TikTok, before Instagram. He was being honest about his faith in the music that he was producing uh, and his struggles with it and that has reached and influenced so many people's lives. And if you are familiar with him, then you likely know what I mean. Um, I had the com- the opportunity to have a conversation with him back in the fall of 2017, just a, over a year after I had started this podcast. And it was an absolutely surreal experience at the time. And even thinking back on it now, this remains an incredibly surreal surreal, excuse me. Um, We actually recorded this conversation in his car between shows that he was doing a living room tour at the time. And I was able to ask someone whose work meant so much to me just exactly what sort of went into it. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, from the archive, so to speak, while I continue to take time to work on uh, the manuscript and the time that I usually give towards podcast production and other projects. July 2022 actually marked six years of this show being in production, and there have been times when I've had to step away, but by and large, uh, this show has stayed in production since July 2016, and so much of change has changed since then. And I'm always grateful for, uh, for my small part in the the environment that has blossomed since then uh, around conversations about what we now call deconstruction or what have you. Uh, what it really, you know, what it means to reckon with white evangelical influence in, in our lives and in society. So I'm very thankful. I will drop a uh, link to a essay that I wrote sort of marking the occasion over at the Post Evangelical Post. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, you'll also find links to some of Bazan's long discography in the show notes as well, uh, as well as a link to the original show. 
which is later back uh, back in the feed uh, in 2017. If you want to support my work, you can do so uh, via the Post Evangelical Post. That is a Substack, and I use Substack because I also write in addition to podcasting. Uh, so that's why I don't use a platform like Patreon. And uh, for some other reasons, too, they're really technical. I won't get into it. But at, nevertheless, if you want to support this show, you can do so at 4 6 or $8 a month. I donate 25% of net revenue from those subscriptions to two organizations, the Religious Exemption Accountability Project and White Homework. You can learn more about that at postevangelicalpost.com, and you can subscribe for free as well. What you get with a paid subscription is a uh, access to ad-free podcast feeds, as well as access to uh, Discord and some other things that will be coming later in the year. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with David Bazan. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is David Bazan. I'm very excited to share this conversation with you because David is my favorite musician. Listeners to this show will likely know him from both his solo work as well as from his band, Pedro the Lion. David's been singing and performing songs about his relationship to faith and doubt throughout his entire career. The song you hear underneath this intro is called Hard to Be, which is really the unofficial theme song for this podcast. You'll hear samples of other songs from his discography throughout the episode. David and I met here in Chicago between two living room shows he was doing in the area last month. We ended up recording this interview in his car with a single mic between us as we both sat in front seats, so if you hear people rustling around in a parking lot or the sound of doors opening and shutting, that sort of thing, just know that that's part of the ambiance we were going for, and you know what, damn, it sounds kind of good. We also had to stop recording at one point near the end, and the audio quality when we come back is a little different, but we did what we could. Throughout the conversation, though, we talk a lot about David's upbringing in the Pentecostal tradition, how he processes his own faith and doubt publicly through music, how evangelicalism taught him to distrust his body, Trump and evangelicalism, and a lot more. I'm really happy I got to have this conversation, and happier still that I get to share it with you. David is currently on tour right now in the South and the Midwest, so check out his tour info at davidbazan.com shows. If you're familiar with David's music already, you may have heard that he's going to begin touring again with the Pedro the Lion moniker, which is super exciting news. We end up talking about this at the end of the interview as well. The first Pedro, Pedro tour dates start in December in the Pacific Northwest, and most of them are actually already sold out, but uh, check out davidbazan.com slash shows for more details about future dates. Be sure to support David's music. He's buy his records, see his shows, buy his merch, listen to his tracks on Spotify and elsewhere. Just listen to his music. It's amazing. Support him. Um, And you can also follow him on Twitter, at (laughs) davidbazan. Um, If you want to support this show, you can do so by leaving an iTunes review or via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. You can also find other exvangelicals to talk with in our closed Facebook group, also named Exvangelical. 
We have over 100, 1,100 members at current count, which is amazing. You can also follow me on Twitter at BRChastain, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Pod. All right, everyone, let's get into it. louder on one, I'm much louder on two. Great. Awesome. Cool. Well, you want to get going? Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, I'll leave a few seconds in the edit just so I can see it, and then I'll do a little intro. Cool. And we'll sort of get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Exvangelical. My guest this week is the musician David Bazan who's known for recording under his own name, as well as Pedro the Lion, Headphones, Low Tom, and the Undertow Orchestra. <laughs> Welcome to the show, David. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, I, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, so where we usually start is really just talking just a, really about where you're from, what your background is. Uh, and since you are known for your music, I'd also really love to know when you really started getting interested in music. Um, yeah, so I'm, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, I was born there, and um, I lived in Phoenix until I was 12, after 6th grade we moved um, then to like Havasu City, Arizona, and I was there for 7th grade, and then 8th grade we moved to Santa Cruz, California, or nearby, and then ninth grade we were in Paradise, California, and then by 10th grade I was in Seattle, which is where I've lived pretty much ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we moved to Seattle in 91, and um, I, I moved away from there briefly after high school, but I came back mm-hmm. as quickly as I could. <laughs> it's, uh, it feels like my home. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So throughout that time, like growing up, were, was your family involved in the church? Oh yeah, my dad was the music pastor. Uh, that was what his job was. He went to college for that. and um, We were in the Assemblies of God denomination, which is Pentecostal, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they were kind of, both my parents were pretty reserved in terms of their Pentecostal expression mm-hmm. um, and because that and because my dad was the music pastor um, my experience at church was always um, you know uh, kind of mild mm-hmm. in that way yeah um, but yeah we you know from the time I was four to the time that I was uh, 11, we lived in a house that was about a quarter of a mile away from the church that we attended and that my dad was the music pastor of and, you know, basically did all the computer kind of work in the office to, you know, just helped with all that stuff. And uh, he had a a ton of responsibility there. And uh, then the school that I went to was a Christian school and it was in the same parking lot as the, you know, yeah. uh, in the old church building, basically. Um, 
And so, yeah, my whole world was just this, within a quarter of a mile. I was, you know, I just went to school and church and home, and it was, uh, it was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, I liked, yeah, I liked the little kingdom that <laughs> I lived in. Yeah, yeah. So you said that it was sort of mild. I, I always sort of, I'm always very interested in, like, a sort of PK people's yeah. experiences because your mileage may vary, really. <laughs> so It's really true. Yeah. And, you know, as a music pastor, you don't have the same classic dynamics as a pastor's kid as you do, as you might be more likely to see in, a, in the actual preacher's kid. Right, yeah. There's a lot more pressure on the preacher's kid, I feel like, to be certain ways. And that wasn't really a factor in our church because the preacher was so much older. His kids were all grown. And, um, you know, so I didn't really have like a... Like that expectation, uh, or even like a buddy growing up who got all that kind of, you know, who was the the senior pastor's kid. Yeah. But we, you know, just my experience was that we were at the church all the time, um, and we liked it. Um, my dad was one who just really believed in meeting the needs of the people, which meant visitation and um, helping, you know families who were struggling in various ways with, you know, food and whatnot, and um, the holidays were, you know, we we went and sang carols for shut-ins, and yeah. we just, it, it seemed like that the way that my dad was is that being a pastor was about, um, you know, helping people and be, meeting their needs, and because he was the, uh, the music pastor, for him, that meant um, cultivating the musicians that were in the church to do the roles that were available on stage, not hiring ringers and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, so you have a music program that's a little janky if you do that, you know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to if you hire, you know, ringers, then you can make a band that sounds really great and people are, it's like a key selling point of a seeker-sensitive church. To right. Have this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, sure. uh so yeah, I grew up with sort of the opposite of that and as a value and um, yeah, my experience, it was, um, I learned about the Bible in Sunday school and in children's church and the, my children's church pastor was this really wonderful lady who, you know, taught us you know, was good with values and things like, um, taught us how to basically if when we kind of wandered into having a bad attitude about something, she was really loving and kind of firm and, um, genuinely like not shaming or she just was cool. Um, uh, but we went to like kids camp and that would be, you know, a dozen or more churches sent all their kids from around the the district or whatever and um, that was when you'd start to the messaging would start to get a little wonky and focused on tongues talking and oh really this kind of thing which there was tongues talking in church yeah. you know growing up there was tongues and interpretation just sort of randomly at different points somebody would just sort of interrupt mm -hmm. with either a word from the Lord that they were sort of you know <laughs> um, reciting or whatever or right. um there would be somebody who's, you know, just hauls off with the you know, just starts talking gibberish. And then there would be a, a little, usually, 
afterward there would be a little you know break a little moment a beat of silence while everybody's waiting for the interpretation and then somebody else would be moved by the spirit ostensibly to uh, give the interpretation which was you know any number of nonsensical sometimes on point sometimes just like pet peeve like phraseology you know that people would string together and <laughs> generally um, it seemed like nonsense at the time but I was trying to be cool like good about it and yeah even even back then when you were judgment. a kid you were, you were yeah. still a little on the fence about it this was like <laughs> I wouldn't do that like right I mean, it just seemed—I don't know. Yeah. It, it never really seemed all that helpful. Yeah. So these youth group, these like youth retreats or camps or whatever—that's where you would get the more like yeah, party you, line sort of stuff. Or you, as far as well, yeah. I mean, the trick with Pentecostalism is it's just not that theologically rigorous, and so it, it really is just pet peeves you know hmm. that or the preaching is just sort of personal access to grind and you know they're preaching from the bible but they just choose you know whatever they're going to do but there isn't like um you could go pretty far afield in your preaching in the subject matter all the way into um, health and wealth and this kind of thing within within the Assemblies of God and there just wasn't a really strong um, framework to bat, like of orthodoxy or something like this to, to sort of bounce people back to some kind of center <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that would be in Pentecostalism because um, yeah. its main distinctions are kind of those emotional out, outlandish yeah. Yeah. well yeah I mean the main distinctions are that the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that being filled with the Spirit is a second blessing after salvation. That, um, you know, growing up, you were, you know, there was a little bit of a second class citizenship to not speaking in tongues. Um, yeah. And they would say over and over again, like, you're not a second class citizen, but it really was case that if you were more spiritual or whatever then you would kind of have this thing and, um, so that's one of the key differences between it and just run-of-the-mill evangelicalism and then some end times bullshit um, <laughs> yeah it, it, uh, pre-millennialism I think is the right is, is yeah what, is what they are um, in terms of end times theology though if I even if I did know what that meant precisely which I'm sure I could I could tell you about it, but I just yeah, couldn't it's, care. It's left behind. I just couldn't care <laughs> less. It's a waste of. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, before youth group, we were at these, you know, these camps, and the, you know, the. We just started to be exposed to things that were, not always helpful, and I'm sure that there was things that were going on, that were potentially not helpful, just because of. The impact of the tradition itself mm -hmm. but um, in my children's church pastor in the pastors that I kind of spent the most time with growing up I was really lucky um, Connie Huffer our children's pastor was just a really sweet very helpful lady 
Um, and then in youth group years later, once I got to Seattle finally, um, I had some great ones in between too, but uh, the guy, Steve Zemke, that um, was our youth pastor when I was in high school, just real helpful guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, ge- genuinely um, didn't give us trouble for preferring to listen to non-Christian music. He was like, I understand Christian music is horrible. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. was, he wasn't even yeah. trying to... It was cool because he wasn't... He just was... Personally, he had a different style than than could be, like, the cool guy, like the hip. Right. Um, like... I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a... In fact, Steve was quite hip and... Uh, but it was it was just a he was sophisticated and wasn't trying to appeal wasn't trying to pretend like he was something yeah. that he wasn't he was just like I don't listen to that why, why would I insist that you, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. I like all the, yeah. I like this other stuff and he did like you know he turned me on to Phil Kagey and some things like this but also other other things that weren't Christian so I, I was really lucky in that way um, and it kind of kept me around I think a little longer. That I had such positive experiences at, at intervals growing right. up. Right. Um, yeah. Genuinely, good folks that I looked up to, in in you know many ways, mm-hmm. who were in charge of me. Yeah. That's not most people's experience. Yeah, and I mean that is a fortunate experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that that like you felt like Pentecostalism didn't wasn't like theologically rigorous. Was that something that you felt like you were aware of no, as a kid or not is that just in hindsight in hindsight yeah okay. yeah, yeah. Um, no I didn't really know any other any other way of, of yeah. doing that and I I was interested in theology as I got older um, in a way I mean I just I, I liked the ideas and I liked understanding how they fit together mm-hmm. yeah if this plus this equaled this then you know whatever um but yeah I think when I started when I once I got to college I went to a Pentecostal Assemblies of God uh liberal arts college if that is even possible it it is possible (laughs) I I went there and I did get um it was a good uh it was a good sort of way station for me to I needed um, I, I needed some middle ground between just growing up in this in this bubble and then kind of interacting with the the rest of the world. I, I I needed something, and Christian College was really helpful for me because it it got me out of the extreme um, bubble that I had you know, grown up in, and there's just, as reasonable as the people were, that were around me, it's still sort of a monoculture. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it was cool to get just a bunch of different ideas, different parts of the, the wider tradition that I just was not aware of that were really helpful in getting me to a place of, um, of, um, peace, I guess, eventually. Um, Yeah. But it took. I didn't. I had no idea in high school, and then even in college, it was a slow, incremental kind of process where I would have these massive paradigm shifts that felt massive to me, but they were all still within like 
you know, a very small percentage of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, uh, As another Christian college kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> totally like nothing revolutionary is <laughs> happening there, but, but like I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> just rocked. Um, I heard the song Come Thou Fount for the first time there in a Christian doctrine class. We had to sing it every day for like a couple, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was revolutionary for me prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the leave the god i love i that kind of confession i was not familiar with being allowed or being able to even admit those things kind of um yeah it sounds strange but it just yeah there i think there's something to that that idea that you can't even acknowledge that that feeling is even there yeah you know? and it feels like weirdly forbidden and it was scandalous feeling, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And it and it opened my mind up, um, and it I mean it really broke me. Like I was, it was quite emotional when it hit me in class the first time. Just like, wait, what? <laughs> it just gave me so much hope, you know. Yeah. Um, and so there were little things like that that I needed along the way to um, to just kind of start to put me back together in a way that Lord could someone please tell me the story of sinners ransomed from the fall I still have never seen you and some days I don't regardless of people's desire to or not to do this it really my experience with Pentecostalism and evangelical Christianity is that it pounded my intuition right out of me Mm -hmm. Um, it made you want to doubt yourself it just my the, the messages that were coming from my body about things were not viewed as valid or I just was somebody else's totally and I was supposed to lean on that somebody else's understanding and not my own and there's just like a million different messages about like don't listen to your body don't listen to you know to any of the voices in your head really you're trying to connect with God and be his and yeah, I don't know what the mechanisms were exactly that, that happened, but I just recently I just found myself just totally devoid of a connection with my own intuition in, mm. in a great many ways. And I started to, through the help of a buddy, a couple of friends, we were talking about this stuff, and I was like, wait, okay. So I now I can look back and... Because and, I, I have this feeling that that I've been on like a journey to where I am now mm-hmm. and that all of that upbringing was a part of that journey yeah um, but and there were helpful tools along the way within that culture to help me basically out of it yeah um, but uh, but yeah it was um, yeah that's why it feels odd to be talking about it like then 
and then I started getting the help that I needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like from what? Like, well, just <laughs> I guess from growing up Christian in a way. Yeah. And I, I've never even felt that way about it before. Uh, just recently, just in the last probably six or eight months or year, where I can look at it and think, man, there were some things that being a part of that culture did that were really unhelpful. And, um, and I think that me really having a really poor relationship with my own intuition about things was one of the results of it. Um, and I grew up in a way that it even feels strange to talk about that because it doesn't seem like, well, what value is your intuition? You know, mm. now I kind of see that it's it's your compass. I mean, it's right. It, you yeah. Know, and um, it, and I also see that a lot of the people that raised me, um, they've given up that compass to the sort of authority at the at the they see at the center of the of the culture, which they believe is God and, and Jesus or whatever, but it's, it ain't that. I mean, <laughs> God and Jesus didn't tell them to vote for Trump and to keep supporting him. It's some other you know, distortion of, uh, of all that stuff. And so I can see, yeah, I just see that my, I'm coming to slowly understand the value of one's intuition. Hmm. Um, and that's it's a foreign thing for me yeah I'd love to hear more about what, what you've said about your connection to your body like um, as far as actually um, heard you talk on the Horatio with Horatio Sands mm -hmm. really about that too about how like you felt a sort of disconnection between your own, your own body and you you also mentioned your own intuition that this is something yeah. that like that you you think like Evangelicalism, in particular, um, really, um, really impacted. And within that other conversation, you mentioned that, like, you actually sort of process things mentally several years ago, mm -hmm. and are now coming to this point where you feel like you're, like, the the bodily part of that equation is going through its own sort of process. Yeah, it's it's kind of landing um, <laughs> in my body in a way that. Um, and again, all that language is so kind of foreign, and I was kind of raised to despise all of that kind of, you know, I would have, they would have said like new agey talk, I guess, when I was real young, but just any of that, like, yeah, any of that, that language, um, and so it feels funny even now, but yeah, it, it feels like it just kind of, um, well, I'm learn so. My perception, and I haven't been to therapy or anything about this, but it seems like that I did have some connection with my body that kind of um, kept me uh, connected enough because I played music. Mm -hmm. And as cerebral as you end up being with everything, with music, eventually you have to just listen to your body and you just have to go with that you know and drumming especially it's there's no you're not thinking about notes you're not thinking about pit, pitch or you're just feeling and and responding and uh, that was really I think helpful to have had 
mm-hmm. because I think it, it kept a part of that alive that might have just been all the, it you know might have just decimated it completely but I, now I have a way back in um, to that because even though there's a lot of ways in which uh, I feel like my intuition and, and even just that the idea of listening to your body maybe though I'm using those things interchangeably the way, I'm, the way that I'm talking about them as wrong as that might be I don't know <laughs> um, but it um, yeah just the idea of listening to your body I, it was expressly forbidden to listen to your body in, in, a, in, a, right. in so many ways yeah because your body was gonna you just want to fuck that's all that your body was going to want to do mm-hmm. I'm sure that is one thing that your body wants to do but there's a lot of other it's not the loudest voice most of the time and um, there's just a lot of cues about when to stop taking abuse for instance and when to you know if you can tune in and I just have I haven't done that except for when I'm playing music and even then there's like a tension there where so many other musicians that I played with were so much more intuitive you know musicians and I had to kind of come at things from a point of knowledge sometimes um, but yeah that was a connection that I was able to keep with it but Christianity how does it do it do you know what I mean like yeah I think there's part of it that's like uh, I mean if you there's like this, especially in evangelicalism, that makes you want to despise the body. Like, despise, you know, you don't want to lust, you don't want to lust in your mind because you're having an affair. Right. You know, and you take those, those take sayings those and then you take, heart, yeah. <laughs> you take Paul's craziness and, like, uh, apply that to, uh, you know, a hormonal teenage body. Like, and then you, you internalize those things so early and then, I mean, it... it well, and there weren't any voices saying. There wasn't anybody saying that it's okay to masturbate. You know what I mean? Sometimes people were kind of like, like, grown-ups would be like, ah, whatever. But it was, it would have been really helpful if the youth pastor just sat us down and said, "Hey, look, a lot of tension building up around there. <laughs> it's okay to do that. You know, mm-hmm. try to." I don't know what they would have needed to say, like try to stay away from the really filthy porn. Or, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I know. Slippery slope there. Yeah, <laughs> but just like, so. just somebody with real world understanding, like if, if these kids feel guilty for doing this, it's going to harm them. You know, you could let them off the hook for that. They might have burned, but the priests were all taking turns. Showing nuns what they had discerned About their bodies in the dark They carried on From the evening until the dawn Like they should have been all along Making harmless sparks Instead of breaking little boys' hearts And God knows If you notice the millions of small holes And ponder the weight of an apple 
It's messed it's, up. It's like master your own body or something. And that's the way in which you do it. Yeah. Is by denying, to your point, denying your body. Denying. Well, and that's it. Self-denial is a theme. And one that I still am needing to kind of unravel which parts I still like because I, I still respond to some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Like, yeah, that's still for me. The conclusion, not, not so much, you know, but, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. So let's, I mean, that's actually an, an, from Be Thou My Vision, which was one of your earlier songs mm-hmm. um, that you recorded. Let's talk a bit about your music. And, um, uh, well, I discovered your music around 2001, 2002. This is when I was at Christian school and, like, I had this, a bit of a jam band and, like, guy that sang sometimes with us told me about your music. We ended up, we were at Indiana Wesleyan, which is, which was too conservative uh, for yep. you. <laughs> like, uh, they have a very aggressive student development board, so I'm sure they, um, so I saw you at Taylor, which was a bit more yeah. open. <laughs> And just uh, a bit, though. <laughs> just a smidge. Their kids could watch rated right R movies. We couldn't. Wow. Yeah, um, we couldn't at uh, Northwest College. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know what it is. Um, so anyways, you throughout that period, you went from like songs like... Uh, well, on your record, songs like Secrets of the Easy Yoke, which I know you don't perform anymore, um, and then songs like Rejoice on Control... Um, and then the fleecing, which you've actually changed over time. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, specifically within that sort of period where you had this very, really very public, and uh, this period where you're really reckoning with things in a in a very public way that you've you're changing your mind. Mm-hmm. What what was going on, sort of, in your life that was spurring that? Um. Well, I think the way that it worked was that um, as Bush was coming to power and really marshalling the the troops in like a evangelical Christian sense, yeah, <laughs> um, it I I found myself wanting to dig to kind of drill down deeper into my understanding of Christianity because I wanted to combat these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought, okay, well, it's time to get serious about about this, like really serious. And so I thought, well, where do you start? And I thought, okay, well, there's all these assumptions that are kind of underlying this, this system. I should go through and just shore all of that up inerrancy and the you know authority of scripture and hell and um you know just what whatever the whatever it was going to be I needed to go through and and just like cross every t and dot every i and as I started to go into those things I just realized just pull one little thread and it a few, you know, a few things just started to kind of fall apart. Yeah. Um, and and I just kind of realized inerrancy. That's there's no. I just couldn't find a compelling argument for inerrancy anywhere except that my desperate need for inerrancy. Right. Um, you know, of the Bible or whatever. 
and uh, so that kind of started to slip and hell was gone maybe even before that um, and then in the midst of all that we had our first kid and um, that experience kind of it just made original sin unbelievable to me mm-hmm. um, I just thought I'm so much less invested in this person than a creator God would ostensibly be with these new brand new creations that he's you know he's made to not not even he's not even their parent so much as just like this companion and but as a parent I just thought I but 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 also described as a parent. I mean, he, right? He, yeah. And I and I just thought there's nothing that she could do that would that would cause me to want to disassociate myself with her for any amount of time. I, there just isn't because I understand her what she is. She's she doesn't know. She's innocent. And if and I just kind of thought if if not knowing the difference between good and evil is not the definition of innocent. I don't really know what is, you know, would I in, in her innocence cast her out as a child if she doesn't know the difference between right and wrong? All right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's literally what she's getting in trouble for. It's, right. um, it's just, yeah. it's just insane. I mean, it's just totally insane. I mean, sure, that could happen, but not, not the hero of the story isn't going to do this. You know what I mean? Right. Not yeah, in state, not in state of hero. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dick move, you know, <laughs> unnecessary, yeah. you know, just not necessary. Right. You know, that it's yeah. a myth that's, you know, utterly fiction is is reassuring because you think, what a prick. I'm glad this prick isn't around, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I yeah, feel scared. Yeah, you know? that's, I mean, you mess up once and you're, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, and then they're going to, oh, but he means to right, make it right. Okay, so thousands and thousands of years and billions of people just in agony on the way no none of it none of it is believable from a being that I am uh, gonna worship because I, I love that being because I'm moved by that being you know and slowly but surely started to see like oh right God in the Bible was this ancient like pounding fists on the ground because that's what moved ancient people ancient people were displays of power is what moved them apparently and displays of power don't move me Mm -hmm. they don't move the modern person we've seen all that right you know cool you're coincidentally the scale that you created us at means that you dwarf us and you're gonna use that to like scare us into believing in you? Fuck you. <laughs> no. Yeah. That it, sure, like it, you can scare us into it, but you're not gonna inspire love in us, right? Um, unless you know we're just abused people who develop Stockholm syndrome, you know, for uh, for our captor. But and that's it. Having a kid was just the first time that. I just started thinking about it, like, no, this does not make sense. Um, and so, yeah, it was all a part of that little uh, trying to drill down deeper into it to get more serious, and it kind of um, 
it backfired a little bit. <laughs> that was yeah. pretty heartbroken. You know, it yeah. wasn't what I wanted. Right. Um, yeah, and you—I mean, you in in the the fleecing where you actually change it, you actually say, and that's uh, why I don't believe and why I grieved it yeah. <laughs> pretty hard. And so, I mean, that that's a really painful process for I mean most people that go through it. Yeah, if they're invested in it and something falls apart, that I mean, it's it's not it's no small thing. Yeah, something at the core of your being. Yeah. That you sort of have arranged all the furniture around this yeah. kind of idea and um, also just a way that a way of doing what now might be self-talk but just a way of interacting I mean by the end I was definitely you know prayer without ceasing wasn't you know the way that they think like I just was constantly just constantly interacting with this set of ideas and yeah um, feel, you know, expressing gratitude all the time, and um, and when that started to fall apart, it was yeah. I, I had to really, I, I I felt really vulnerable, and I had to kind of like cl- kind of clinch up, <laughs> or kind of prote- feel like I had to kind of protect myself. And then you, and then I think I don't want to be hard-hearted, and so then you open back up, and it was very, it was very. Um, you know, it was a confusing process. Right. And uh, everybody around you, of course, wants you to give an answer for why. Yeah. Um, some demand an answer, you know. Yeah. So they were very offended. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes you try. Sometimes I tried. And other times I just was like, because I don't, you know. Yeah. Why don't I believe? Because it's not believable to me mm-hmm. anymore, I guess, you know. Um, yeah. But that when that's all you have, they want an apologetic for this for some new way, and it's tough. And it's it was helpful for me to realize that like I'm having to use all this force to pull myself away from this very powerful magnet, but I want to land right in the middle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to 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 pull 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 and then have enough control to like not have the pendulum swing way out one way or way you know like I want to I wanted to be kind of sane about it but there's no way to do that in a sane way you're gonna you're gonna pull too hard and have to swing back and it's just a process you know that pride makes difficult if you wanted to look graceful or something (laughs) because it's just it's painful and ugly and it's this weird toxic thing that we have to you know, decouple ourselves from right. in order to kind of, I don't even know. I feel like I'm in the middle of the process still yeah. in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. I, one, one phrase that I'm sort of playing, that keeps coming to mind for me is this idea of like wholeness over holiness. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you, you want to be able to feel like a whole person. And sometimes evangelicalism can deny you that. Unless you're a very particular type of person. Yeah. I, I mean, it works for a lot of people, uh, I guess. Um, or at least some people. But um, <laughs> Yeah, the, there's uh, people in my life who I'm close to who are pretty much just still straight down the, the middle with it. And um, 
we grew up pretty close together, you know, and it's strange to see, you know, I assume that it's working for them. Um, yeah. But there's a tension because it's not working for a lot of other people around them. And, right. Um, so that's a hard thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, how do some people get through it and it's fine and other people are, they open themselves up in different ways to it or need something different from it or something and end up getting kind of turned around and hurt. Right. Yeah. I don't know why. I, more and more, I, I just kind of think that it's just bad. I mean, I've been pretty reticent to even... I feel like over the years, it, it, even if I've been, you know, not a believer myself, I've been pretty, like, kind of, ah, but, you know, whatever works for you kind of thing. And I find myself feeling that way less and less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard, especially with evangelicalism and the fruits of... Especially the recent since. fruits, I think, are really hard to deny. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's painful. Yeah, um, but yeah, and, and that's sad to me. It's sad that I feel the way that I do, because mm-hmm. I almost kind of feel like, yeah, that it's just bad, and that you need to get out of it. <laughs> um, but I'm, I guess, I'm not willing to evangelize in that in that way. I don't know if that's of stupid to say it that way even but um for some reason i just i i don't know i'm still in a sad phase from it i i it was not for me for a long time but i still saw the potential for some good and maybe it's just a a really bad swing but the more that i learn and the more that i read and listen and the more it just seems like i i don't know yeah seems bad yeah um, one of the songs that I've actually been listening to of yours a lot since November has actually been People on oh, Strange yeah. Negotiations because yeah. it seems like um, that's really your exploration of like this idea that the people that you grew up with were good people they were doing good things but then some nasty fucking thing happened since then. Yeah. <laughs> and like and like all of a sudden uh, you know either whether it's whether it's boomers or uh, something or I don't know like all of a sudden their political desire for power mm-hmm. is the thing that, that excuses supporting Trump and the you know he's a serial sex assaulter and a cr- like just I mean you can't say anything no <laughs> there's nothing good to say about the man I mean yeah, literally so. there's not there's just not he's, yeah. there's nothing good in him that I've been able to see he's right. not good to his family he's not good to he has no no friends of any kind you know yeah and the fact that he was supported by 81 percent you know that so for me like your song actually has been uh very in a number of ways cathartic because it's definitely something that uh it feels like i i mean that song is a few years old too it's yeah it was like, that 2011 was, that was, yeah, yeah that was a dormant that 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 song is, you know, prescient. <laughs> well, there was, I mean, who are these people blaming their sins on the fall? Who are these people? If 
I'm honest with myself at all These are my people Man, what else can I say? You are my people We're the same in so most extreme example of, right. of it but the whole time you're hearing this drum being beat you know like since I was in seventh grade I heard I found somebody uh, my mom maybe bought the light and the glory and, yeah I um, read that in college <laughs> and I flipped it over and there's just something about so I think in Christian school I got turned on to I mean, just we were learning about due process, and it just struck me that, like, wow, this is this is foundational. Like, you can't have a free society without this. Right. That there was these handful of things, and in thinking about due process and what it meant and what it implied for the way that you dealt with ideas and everything in general, it just sort of, like, it spawned something in me that a few years later... I flip o- over the light and the glory and I'm reading the back of it and I and I had just taken you know in the two or three years prior I'd t- taken American history at a Christian school you know so I flip over the light and the glory and I just read the blurb on the blurbs on the back and the description of it and I just in my body I just know like that's not that's not quite right yeah that's they're twisting it somehow this is twisted um, and you know, people would say, "Oh no, no, you heard it twisted. This is untwisted." Just, no, I heard a Christian school, like a Becca, you know, book version of American history, and this—I'm sure that it was inspired by it. But then, when I just saw the way that it was described in the back, I just knew, like, this is wrong. This is wrong. I don't know exactly know how it's wrong, but. It just felt wrong and and then then you then here we are you know what I mean for me that was sort of the first moment where I saw the machine yeah the, when I saw Christianity be the thing that it has that it is and that it has become and so it feels like a through line in a way that you saw it during the Bush administration you saw it in the response to the economic collapse um, just this drum being beat and I never really put it together until I started reading Christopher Stroop's stuff and heard him on y'all's podcast mm-hmm. too and but reading his writing and also Sarah Kenzior and as as authoritarianism is sort of on the rise here yeah reading more and more about that but then uh, Christopher's um, 
you know, really major contribution, I think, is connecting the dots between authoritarianism and evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Um, and Christianity, you know, at large in, in a lot of ways, but specifically it seems he's tackling authoritarianism in evangelical Christianity. And uh, that's been amazing. I mean, I, it bums me out <laughs> uh, because it's just like, damn, you know, it's been happening for so long and so many people are sort of fine with it and kind of complicit with it and didn't have that response to it ever. You know, we can have all the responses that we're going to have as immature people, but eventually when you try to put two and two together for yourself for real, you got to come come away from that shit, come away from that manipulative garbage and see it as, you know, the the ends cannot justify the means. Right. Anything that sort of dips into that, you know, is you just stop it. <laughs> you know, it's you just yeah. got to be really wary of allowing yourself to be involved in movements that are fine with that kind of tactic um, which the Republican Party is fine with yeah the, as long as they have the seats they're fine they'll do anything clearly yeah um, yeah so yeah it's it's a bummer because I think that the picture just as it keeps getting filled in more and more clearly it's really bad and in the sense that this infection, this way of being, this manipulative, deceitful desire for power, it's it's in my mom, it's in, and she's not a bad lady, she's not motivated by that stuff, but she's listening to the people who are, and she doesn't have anything to defend against it. Right. There's nothing that's in her brain that's answering, wait a second, you know, Pat Robertson is wrong because, you know, X, Y, and Z. She just, that's in her bubble and she can't defend against it. And there's just f fully 40% of the American population who's in that, in that spot. Man, it's a bummer. So many of those people I love, you know. Right. And they're, barring some kind of major awakening, they're kind of lost. The way they believe I've lost. <laughs> They're truly, truly lost. Because they can't even see what they're a party to culturally, you know? Yeah. They can't they can't they they can't watch a movie about a dystopian situation and see and sort of put the representative pieces together the the, the right way, the way that this is going down. We're seeing it happen, you know. Right. And they can't see it. Um, and it's just so scary. And But it really does put a fine point on all this stuff that we've probably, you know, you and I and anybody else who's sort of doing this process, we've all been battling these things in their in our way for a while. And it just, yeah. it just kind of rose up in a way right. that I'm... It was just probably traumatic a little... Yeah. A little yeah. tiny bit traumatic for a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, people who grew up this way, and and Absolutely. that's what Christopher kind of says. Right, he's just like you know. Yeah, and that's a, a key part of what we, really what this project is about is just just talking stuff out, you know, and talk actually like it. talk through it and actually be 
this is the public component of it, you know, this mm-hmm. is someone that feels comfortable enough where they are to sort of let people know that, you know, they're they're not crazy, they're not alone. Yeah. You know, like somebody else has gone through some shit like this and like worked through their inner turmoil. Yeah. And like and also in many cases have had to leave bad environments. You know? yeah. <laughs> like I mean just it's to so your point, painful. like yeah, to your point, it's it's if if you're in it, like we were in a um, you know, personally we were in a pretty fundamentalist church and mm. up at re- we sort of happened to be be in it because of friends and things like that even though we didn't agree with stuff but when we left we lost everybody you know? oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> so I it, heard that you, know, you it, talked about that a little bit on the Stephanie Drury yeah yeah uh, so yeah thanks I mean it it's a common story and yeah. that's what's sad about it you know and I'm I know that you I'm sure that you get all manner of have gotten all manner of pushback throughout your performance and everything else as far as and one of the things that um, just to go back to your music and your performance a little bit one of the things that you do often is actually you do do a very vulnerable thing and you let people ask you questions like when mm-hmm. you're tuning and that sort of thing what's sort of motivated that over the years and what what it because i can remember that i think as early as i ever saw you doing that. yeah if you came on it in 2001 i think i started doing that about 2000 um i wanted a kind of a reliable way to interact with the audience that wasn't kind of canned or uh, yeah. yielded the same kind of banter and once i started doing it it was just this endless font of just good banter you know, if I could learn how to kind of respond to the things, it, I mean, just naturally, I think my tendency is to try to entertain in the middle there, you know? Yeah. And so it just gave me a, a way to kind of do that where I didn't have to kind of revisit the same material ever, and it was just always kind of fresh. Yeah. And it was just that kind of device of yeah. any questions at this point in the show, you know, allowed me to, to do. So actually, uh, you recently just decided to bring back the Pedro and Lion name, mm-hmm. and uh, so obviously a lot of people, myself included, are like love your Pedro catalog as well as your Bazan catalog. Um, but what led to your decision to go back to the name and start um, start touring under the band name again? Well, um, I've wanted to tour with the band pretty much the whole time that was what I wanted that's why I started Pedro the Lion is because I um, well once I yeah once 
going on tour seemed like a thing. Yeah, I just wanted to be in a band. That's what I... Um, once I started doing that, that's just what I've wanted to do. So when I stopped doing Pedro in 2005, this fall of 2005, um, it was because the model wasn't working, basically. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted um, a partner in it. Um, or I wanted there to be... Basically, I had kind of played most everything on the various records, except for bass here and there, um, and certainly had a, a, a hand in writing everything, even if I wasn't um, playing the bass. Uh, and that was a way that I had worked and kind of developed the band's sound that way, and then I was really looking for other people to sort of be regular members, and I never could keep the same people in the band. There was always some reason why it, w- it wouldn't work. Sometimes it it wasn't meant to work for a long time, but sometimes it would work for a couple of years and then just would stop working for a different reason each time. But there was, you know, 25 people in the band over the years, and mm-hmm. when Walsh got in the band, I, I thought, well, this is it. You know, this is great. I wanted somebody to, you know, like a, a regular member. Um, and we'll start collaborating and all that. And so when that didn't work, I thought, well, I didn't... I wanted it to work. I don't know why it didn't work or what I did wrong, if it's down to me, um, to 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 make that happen. And I, and I don't know how to fix it, you know, for the next time. And so I was really reticent to just get another couple of people to, to join up and to start touring. So I started playing solo. And... Um, thinking that I would find that clarity at some point soon, just get some distance from it, from the band, and figure out, you know, how to kind of reapproach it. And it took me 12, 11 or 12 years, basically. I even kind of forgot that I was doing that at a certain point. I just mm-hmm. was like, just, I got a band again and was trying to do that. And um, But it's just really expensive to take a band out and... Uh, Bazan, the brand name Bazan just never got big enough to support having a band. Um, the band shows, the band tours that we would go on, I would kind of break even or make a few, you know, a couple thousand bucks, like a month, you know, uh, a, you know, my whatever our, our monthly nut is, I could, you know, come home with like one month's worth of that. And it's like, well, this is the tour. You know, I, this if I played solo, I'd be able to pay for five, four months of yeah of living, and um, so I just had to kind of play solo yeah. forever. And I've been wanting to figure out a way to have a band again, and I figured out my workflow issues this year, uh, which I won't go into. But um, and once that happened, I just thought, you know. Now I know what I'm doing, and I kind of solved that problem that with Pedro why well, I quit the name before and I'm trying to stay home a little bit more and have the shows be you know cover a little bit more ground in terms of what I'm bringing in by playing them and so I just thought yeah it's time I think let's do it and so it's been amazing it's been really fun just internally to start revisiting some of the the tunes that I haven't played in forever and um, not that I'm going to be playing by any stretch, any all of the songs that people are going to want to hear, but we are going back all the way to the whole EP in one oh, case. Wow. 
bunch on friend and a you know couple of winners and a bunch of control and criticism is in there at the moment you know but um so yeah I just uh it's been really fun and also the response has been really positive almost annoyingly so just like <laughs> I've been like busting my ass harder than I've ever worked for well, the last 11 years and you can't really get everybody to care at the same time and and then I didn't even do a goddamn thing except just say Pedro the Lion <laughs> and then everybody's like oh my god that's so amazing and it's like oh man okay I get it <laughs> call it Pedro give everybody what they want and uh <laughs> play all the jams and just have a good time but then that you know now that I've figured out my workflow then I get what I want to which is to, to try to continue to make records that turn me on and keep kind of developing the sound of the music that I want to make and ways, ways to express you know myself and to do that with a band you know is what I want to do if I call it Pedro then I get to do that and uh, it's kind of kind yeah. of a no-brainer when I really came down to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I'd, I've I've loved I love the way your you know your sound and also the the different sorts of content or content. Yeah, That's such fun. a generic term. I <laughs> said know, it yesterday and lamented <laughs> it, but it was useful. Yeah, the the, the different topics that you sort of um, have have tackled across your albums both in Pedro and um, and as under under David Bazan and like a lot of yours, like hard uh, curse your branches and mm -hmm. all of that really was a, a lot of processing. A lot of the things we talked about. Yeah. And then this most recent album, Care, uh, I, there's a lot of really great songs that, that like uh, I feel like I've been married ten years. Like there's some like long term relationship sort of songs. Yeah, in there. man. <laughs> and, like. And like the way that you you're sort of uh, as you as you continue to change your focus, even in the things you want to sing about, it's it remains great. Oh <laughs> man, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited for the future of. I kind of have um, a, a a project or a cycle of albums that I kind of have set before myself to do, and mm -hmm. I, it's just it's the right balance of. It's a direction to go in that is evocative to me and just promises endless supply of things to write about, but is also really open-ended and I can kind of go wherever I need to go. And so it's just, I don't know, I have, I have a really great next few years set up to, to just get some really good work done, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I know we, I'm actually catching you between a couple of different house shows you're doing. We're actually recording this in your car. That's right. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, just to, to sort of wrap it up a little bit, one of the things that I do kind of ask people um, is often just sort of how you feel about where you are now, both, I mean, both amidst all the sort of things that you were, um, you know, you're, you're processing personally as well as all the different exciting things that are going on with Pedro. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've, um, I had a really, 
uh, eventful summer in a way. Um, just a lot of movement, and a, um, in the very there's a, there's a couple of ways in which work was kind of not going that great for. I just was stuck in the same spot I'm always I've been in, and, and I was really struggling to figure figure out where the movement was going to come from. And also in a, one of my key relationships in my life. Um, and there was just a ton of really positive movement this summer in, in two major spheres of my life. And um, it was something that I can see in both places. I, I was needing relief, you know, for a long time. The last couple of years prior to this summer had been bad. I mean, I feel really bad, really low. Um, still working and putting out you know music and doing doing my thing but uh, just just really struggling and not not able to really sustain I mean I'm just putting it all out you know when I'm writing and recording it's just like you know I'm just totally maxed out giving everything I possibly can to it and the same thing with touring you know you're up yeah. there and you're playing the show and it's like look hey, if you're not going to leave everything there if or really try to do that then what are you out here doing and so I've you know I've been able to do that but it just was it was it felt like it got to a point where it was taking years off my life and I just was feeling a lot of loneliness and real just emotional pain or whatever just real bad yeah. feelings that I didn't want to have feeling really isolated and um, so yeah it was it's been good um to have a season of, of a little bit of relief. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I, so I feel good. I wish, you know, the backdrop of all this is basically what looks to be the end of American society as we know it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that puts a damper on so a lot that of that kind of sucks. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess we could pull it out, but the coup has happened. We are gonna have to do another coup Right. If we wanna, if we wanna turn this around, yeah, an, uh, an anti-coup or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that troubles me, and and it it's agitating because now, like we were talking about earlier, you're not just fighting some, you know, just like how it of course goes, like when Nazism started to overtake Germany, or when when any kind of fascist movement starts to to you know, to come up, you're you're fighting against your family, you know? Yeah. And you're trying to figure out what your relationship with your family's going to be if they're going to square up on the other side of this thing, which if it's just politics and it doesn't really affect you, then you can kind of not view it that way. But yeah, when do we, when, when and where do we put our foot down and what does that look like when you say, no, fascism, no, authoritarianism, no. Like, right. we know where this leads. Like, you got to shut the fuck up. You know, this is not... Yeah. You know, this is yeah. not... Like, suddenly I'm the grown-up in the room at, at Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because who... And that sucks. <laughs> I hate that. Right. You know, why can't yeah. they be the grown-ups, too? Yeah, Why can't absolutely. we all be grown-ups? Right. And know what this is? Yeah. Did they forget history books? Really? They didn't? I just don't... So that part bums me out, and it gets me wound up nearly every single day. 
Right. At some point during the day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not good. Right. No. It's, and it's, yeah, it's definitely an everyday battle. And it's an everyday battle to stay motivated. <laughs> For sure. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, that's, and that's a funny thing because that means that they're being effective. You know, we're, yeah. we're all feeling fatigued and they, they can keep doing what they're doing, you know? Yeah. And just kind of keep on throwing monkey wrenches into stuff, making everything harder and harder. And it's a, it's a grim situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. When you really look at it, it's. I don't know, you know, just hope people keep vocalizing on social media, I guess. <laughs> and then yeah. the Mueller investigation is somehow fruitful. And then 2018, if we can sort of push against all the measures that they've kind of taken to rig the elections. And I'm totally content with that word. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it's beyond meddling. I think that it's, it's targeted and it's... Um, if anyone knows how to do an influence campaign, it's evangelicals. But yeah. that's, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Kevin Cruz is, you know, one nation under God. It's yeah. really a, yeah. a great read on that subject. Yeah. Well, I don't want to leave on a totally dour note. So I, I did. <laughs> but, um, and I also know that, that you've got to get moving on to your next show. Um, but I just wanted to honestly say, you know, I've, your music personally for me has been in many ways like a, a lifeline I don't know whether this necessarily this project would have happened and would have happened in the way it has if it wasn't for you being as honest as you've been and honestly like oh, uh, um, I've like being at a Christian college when um, you know the run up to the Iraq war was happening like it was like I felt like I wasn't insane. That's <laughs> maddening. Yeah, that's really maddening. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. So I felt, when I would hear you talk about it, like at concerts or um, vocalize things, you know, that was definitely an encouragement as I was beginning to process all that shit on my own. <laughs> so, yeah. and for you to, you know, for you to continue to do this, I, I think it, um, uh, you're, you're doing your fans a great service in that way for a lot of people um, to to be able to be encouraged to be as honest as you are. So I've, I've always appreciated about you. So well, thanks <laughs> for saying. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, something that I learned the other day, I think listening to your and Christopher Stroop's conversation, maybe that was what it was, was he was talking about boundaries and evangelicals. And was it, was that on your podcast? We were talking about evangelicals um, having terrible. Yeah, probably boundaries yeah, for, um, sharing personal information and things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my style of sharing in my songs comes from that right. lack of boundaries. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is funny because it's it's a it's definitely a liability. But in the case of, um, uh, it's funny because I can see that being the case. But also, there's still the sense that either we're still we still weren't talking about the right things or we just didn't know what the right things to share were right. because people were willing to yeah 
I'm really interested in reading more about that if that's a thing that that's been written about. But yeah. th that's what I when I when I heard you guys talk about that, I thought, oh, that's totally me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know which things to talk about and which yeah. things not to. Songwriting helps that because I'm willing to be vulnerable and sort of overshare to a certain degree, but the editing process usually pulls it into a, a realm where it's just okay it's helpful right. it's not right. just like yeah. oh my god what yeah yeah uh, which i'm sure there's some of that too but yeah yeah um but, but it keeps it in the zone of of being honest and yeah but yeah i think it does flow from oversharing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there is something to that i mean you and again one of your lyrics is about like these are my people and like and you know that's sort of where you come from and there's part of it you know you can you can take the evangelical out of evangelicalism, that yeah. sort of thing. But uh, it's true. Uh, so there are certain things that just, no matter where you are now, and that's sort of the framing of of this is, you know, I don't. When I talk to people, I don't give it. I don't care whether you're a Christian or not anymore, because right. the thing that binds us together is this stuff in the past. <laughs> you know, um, this all this stuff we went through. The common but, experiences that we have. Yeah, you really can, especially once you've gotten a little bit healthy past yeah. it and you can reminisce about certain elements and moments in your upbringing that really were just joyful right in yeah. in yeah. you know outside of the the slow <laughs> bludgeoning of uh, <laughs> of your your compass um, but there're just a lot of really great moments and yeah. a lot of wonderful people and a lot I mean just so much life that was lived inside those buildings that right, I right. am not going back into <laughs> and yeah. yet I, I wouldn't change that there was so many wonderful f discoveries and I guess if anything you know I wish that I could have had a more complete you know childhood um, in some of the ways that I'm, st I'm I'm coming to now listening to more music just being open to more things um and then listening to your body and yeah. having just having a complete relationship with yourself and your own yeah. you know your own stuff but man to be able to share stories with people that you grew up with who are in a different spot than you now but you can both agree that you know TPing uh, you know the Melvin's <laughs> house or whatever was yeah real, it was the, one of the funnest nights of your life like that's you know yeah, you still get to have that. You don't right. have to. You don't have to throw it all out. You know, right. You to, Definitely. There's plenty of stuff from back there that was like, you know what? Those were just the. Those are just people doing their best right then, and we all had such a good time. You know, no one got hurt that night in the way that so many people do get hurt in evangelicalism. Right. But like that night was just like, we managed to just have good, clean fun. You know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad for for some of those, in the midst of the kind of chaos and the really questionable <laughs> teaching and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of hold all of it in tension in that weird way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for for meeting me, for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. Good.